listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Wander. Blurred. Fun. Diana M. Rodriguez, who goes by DMR, was born and raised in Bogota, and she is currently based in New York City. She is a composer of electroacoustic music, a concert series curator in the groups Columbia Composers, C3, and Canva Sound, and she's also a 90s anime aficionado. Having its footholds in pop culture, Colombian folk, and rock and espanol, her work has been presented by artists like Ice, Yarn Wire, Eche Ensemble, Lodovico Ensemble, Boston Musica Viva, Barrow Duo, Eric Drescher, and Josh Modney at the Banff Center for the Arts and Creativity. She's also been performed at the Domenis Center for Classical Music, the Boston Conservatory, University of North Colorado, the Coral Gables Museum, and the New England Conservatory. Her ongoing projects include collaborations with Talk Ensemble and Phonema Consort. Diana, great to meet you. Um, I'm, I'm excited nice. that uh, to kind of look at, we're going to look at two of your pieces today. And uh, I wanted to start off with your piece, uh, Variation 10, from Nine New Variations. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very excited to talk yes. with you. I, I, I'm a big fan of your podcast. Oh, thank you. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I know James Diaz and my friend Jose Martinez was, were like talk with you too so it's like woo yay i'm here with my friends too <laughs> World, so world's colliding huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh this piece variation 10 kind of tell me the backstory of this like when did you write this and um this this kind of has a special story with your with, with what it's doing and your collaborators so just kind of like fill us in what's the, what's the backstory of this piece so uh, I was working on my website, but I never linked my website because I thought nobody would like send me an email. And Claire Chase sent me a text like, "Hey, someone that I that would like to work with you, and I recommend uh, like what's up? They send you an email, and I'm like, I have never got an email. I'm like, this is the one I use, so I give her my typical Gmail and not the website one. And it happens to be this project uh, about dance, and I'm like, wow, I have never done this. And of course, it it I was like in a very rough spot because of course the pandemic and everything. Like I, I wasn't able to write a note. Uh, and I, I, it just came out of the blue and it was so refreshing. Uh, and then they say, we have this video that we want to, uh, we want you to score. And this is uh, uh, Michael Trusnovic and Kristen Drauker. They were, they contacted me and I'm like, okay, yes, let's do it. I'm interested. And I, I was panicky because I wasn't sure what they wanted. And, you know, <laughs> I, I'm used to writing for friends or, or people that are kind of near by me or yeah, it's more like a closer to me because I'm very shy in some ways. And uh, we just met and they were like, it was, there was just a, just an incredibly good vibe with them. They were fantastic. And I'm like, Hey, let me show you a minute of music with the first dance, because it's a series of uh, 10 dances. Ten dan- oh, line. Nine dances. Mine yeah. is the variation. Well, 
the way that they explain it is that the whole editing is the 10th variation and mine is the other one too so it's like Got two it. ten variations which is yeah. kind of strange uh with well uh, in any case we had our sub meeting there was like extremely good vibe and i just started scoring the the first dance and i'm like let me know if this is why you like because i want to make sure that we are in the same page sure. and they give me a couple of feedback and they're like yes you go let's do this and I was on my own with my mini log synth and me it was either improvising over the over the dance and using like uh there were moments that would use the filter as a movement of the of the of the dancer or uh I would change the color the cutoff um if the dancer was like faster I would uh more do crazy arpeggios or something that I asked them that I really needed it. And I think this comes from uh, Takemitsu's scoring in films, in Japanese films, is the mm -hmm. silence. And I'm like, I need, if you have the sounds of these singers uh, of the video, like the original, like fully, uh, I need that because that's going to help me a lot to create the music. And my idea was that the folly would like, it was like part of it, but it's not. It has to be like part of the music. Uh, and the challenge was that not all of the videos had folly. So some of them had and some of them didn't. And there were like a lot of happy accidents in that I would stretch the, that folly on the background. And that would match the dance uh -huh. uh, and it just made it I, it was such a great experience and it got me back to writing or making music which I had like good three months uh, of being overwhelmed and don't wanting to deal with anything I was taking this French class for for the language requirement that I have at school and it was a difficult class and Yes, so it was like it, it it was like such a nice experience to go back and and make music again, especially on my own with me only, but the company of the movement of the singers. And yeah, no, it's just beautiful. I mean, I think that like right right when the pandemic happened, you know, as uh, I had a very similar experience that you did, like, I just didn't want to work. I, you know, basically this, this amazing, uh, concert schedule. I, I, you know, schedule of concerts I had set up for myself was just gone. And it's like, all, everything was disappearing in front of you. And, and you're just like, well, why is, why is there even a reason to do anything right now? You know, why should I write if like, you know, it's going to be, a year or two years or at, at that point, you know, who knew, who knew like when, when we were going to come back, you know, it just seemed like every day you were getting more just bad news and worse news and horrible news. And it's like, you know, there's no motivation. But when I, when I did finally start writing again, it was electronic music that, um, that brought me back because just like you said, it's just you, I don't have to rely really on anyone else. Like I, you had this external stimulus 
that, that you know that's great i mean the dancing in the in the video is is gorgeous and you know um uh every everyone like you know obviously listen to our conversation listen to the piece but then go seek out the video so you can see exactly you know um all the all the all the dance and the editing and and all the visuals along with this music but but yeah for me it was it was electronic music that kind of brought me back because it was like it's something that i had complete control over you know i didn't need anyone else and when it's done it's done you know i don't i don't have to wait for a performance or anything so it's just it's just kind of out there yeah exactly exactly and i think uh, slowly but surely in my career like i started like a pure acoustic and i was just acoustic music and acoustic music is the best and writing music (laughs) like this is tradition and blah blah blah. i was very sedimented on that and then i slowly started introducing and playing around with electronics and I just been naturally switching to this medium and I feel that I feel free. Like I, I feel that as an artist, I have more freedom that I have with performers And now I'm struggling. I love writing for performers, uh, but I, I feel that I cannot go back as I used to be so natural with it. And yeah. that's a nice challenge. Also, I mean, like you said, within the pandemic, what was the point and not only that like a lot of people were really trying to what i thought it was like what would give me more anxiety is that a lot of people try to keep it together on the sense that we have to come up with these concerts online and the live streams and for me maybe for other people live streams were the best was was were the best thing ever but for me it just for me having good audio is everything and the live streams, like you see it on Facebook. Again, there are really nice places where I've seen really great things. Like there is this online improvisation, which I think is a good space to express and it's very supportive. So I like that community part in, in that group in particular. But others, other ones that they didn't care, not that they didn't care, but also the technology is not right there to have like quality streaming. Yeah. Um, and I think the adjustment took about six months because I feel that by October, the quality was a lot higher than in March of last year. And I'm like, okay, I can tune in now. I feel that I feel that I now can connect a little bit more. Yeah. The good thing also about live streams, I mean, the positive thing is like I can show up more for my friends than I used to. That's true, yeah. Uh, and I, I, I like that a lot. Uh, because yeah. I can choose. I feel sometimes a concert is a commitment, and if I don't have the mental space, uh, I just don't want to be there. No, no, out of spite or anything, but I just want to support my friend, be there, and be able. I mean, maybe that's very selfish of me. Uh, I don't know, uh, but I just, I mean, concerts are fabulous. Like that's the thing that I've been struggling. Like as I been moving more. To electronics, I I like the individuality of working with electronics, and that that like you said, the whole control that you have over it, and also what I I struggle with concerts in general is the curation. Uh-huh. Uh, like I would really like two pieces and then hate the rest, <laughs> and I would feel like a terrible person that I hate the rest of the pieces because I'm this a huge asshole. I don't know, or because <laughs> I feel that I 
I'm in another mental state. And also, uh, uh, if it is like you're talking identity person versus this amount of white people, like it's, it's, a, it's a frustrating process while in live streaming, like I'm here for my friend, I'm showing up, I'm enjoying this and I can be more present. Uh, I wish new music concerts was like that. Like, I don't know, like more open, like it could be like a longer, but I could just show and I don't know, and more yeah. community. I don't know. I don't, I, it's, I think maybe we can be moving the future towards that. That is not just uh, performers, audience. Yeah. And I mean, but, I think that, I think that, you know, with, I, I was, so I, I I had a couple. I did a cup. I did. I performed on a couple live streams, and I, I like. I, I just wasn't really satisfied with it, you know, because as a performer, you know, you try to like. I was I was doing stuff with like live electronics and you know like no input mixing and live electronics and Max and stuff like that. And I was I, I was I was in a couple live streams like that. Um, and then I've all, I also had a couple pieces done on, on live streams and, and, you know, it was great. I really appreciated the performers and I mean, they did an amazing job and they, you know, put it in so much effort to get an actual audience to a live stream, but you know, then you turn it off and you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, there's no, <laughs> There, there's there's no hang afterwards there's it's it's just like it it almost makes it worse because it confronts you with the with how different with how much you're losing by not having an mm. in-person concert you know so yeah. anyway um absolutely i th- i mean the con when you enjoy a piece and you and it's your friend's piece or an ensemble that you really love seen perform it's great but the it's amazing it's amazing in itself that these people are taking their time to share their talents but the best part is just being able to talk about it afterwards i know you know drinking a beer yes or exactly a cocktail or something you know yeah the post-concert i missed the post-concert hang more than more than anything it's like you know the music is still the music but um you know, and and I, I I wanted to actually talk about this in in your other piece that we're gonna look at, but you know, everything it's it's not just you're going to listen to music; it's an entire experience, you know. Exactly. exactly. And the curation of that experience for concerts. I hope like one maybe one good thing that comes out of all of this is that we un- we understand more than ever how important the experience is with like the surrounding the concert, you know, obviously the music has to, you know, hopefully it's like a really good music and be performed really well, but everything else that goes into producing a concert, I hope we realize like how important that all that other stuff is now coming out the other side of it, not having had it for more than a year, you know, so. Absolutely, I agree with that. I yes, I think it's not about just the concert. That separation between, again, like the performer and and the audience is just now it could be more intermingled because 
also what is really cool about live streamings. The ones that are very successful is when you're able to chat within the concert yeah, or when that, you're listening to the piece. That is one thing I do really like about um, like going to an online concert, especially especially if it's like not live streamed, but it's it's recorded. You know, oh, like yes, the best are recording ones. I yes. mean, I I know like ha, like quote unquote like oh yes, the magic of the life. It was live, uh, but it's more. I don't know. It's a little bit when it's recorded. You are guaranteed good, better audio, mm-hmm. and and two. I don't know. It, it, you can really enjoy the communal space of the chat. Too. Yeah, that 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 really is something that I have enjoyed in, in the concerts I've gone to is just being able to like, you know, chat and say well, like, wow, that there was there was one I was on. It was a concert that um, uh, two flute uh, players did, uh, Lindsey Goodman and Aragon, uh, Aaron Helgeson Torres, and uh, they were in the chat, you know. And like I was able to, <laughs> there I was actually writing a piece um, at the time for Lindsay's uh, Lindsay Goodman's flute quartet, and she there was this technique in one of these pieces, and I said, "Hey Lindsay, what is that? Like, what did you just do? What's that combination, or some you know something like that?" <laughs> And, uh, and they were able to answer me in real time. And it was like very, they, they were really uh, uh, engaged with the audience. And that's just something you can't do um, ever. But at the same time, that's kind of replacing the after concert hang. It's like you're able to have that interaction during the concert and say, wow, that was so cool. Or what did you do there? Or, you know, ask questions and they can respond to you in real time. And it, I don't think it really takes away from the listening. You're still listening actively exactly so. exactly anyway uh, yeah, um yeah, it, let's let's get yeah. back to uh variation 10 so you you mentioned um some of the electronic sounds uh that you were working with what you you mentioned you were working with a synthesizer what, what is that like uh, wh- which one what, were you working with what kind of synth do you mean yeah 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 oh uh, it's just oh it's just an analog uh one analog synth uh my first synth uh is the one the funny enough, I bought from my husband when we started dating, or a little bit longer when we started dating. And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's try this synth thing. And it's been my baby, the mini lock cork, the original one. I think it's the original one. Mm-hmm. The one that is gray. And it's such a like, easy synth to understand. Yeah. FM synth, like the basics. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's been my baby for like since 2017. And I have like a couple of patches. I, I, I made two patches and I also use one that my friend taught me how to make the patch because also since uh, at the time electronic music and synthesizer were like a little bit daunting to me, my friend just taught me how to do it. He, mm-hmm. um, we used to work in pavement. Oh, Sweet Pete. I love my Sweet Pete. And now he's in Berlin and he's just great with sound design and he told me that and he also played for a bigger a bigger ensemble piece that I had exclusively made for doctoral applications so it's like a very nice story with this mini log uh, baby of mine and I made two patches yes I made two patches and I and I use uh, my friend's Pete's patch too 
and I would layer all on top of the recordings. So, so I like a layer. Yes. So even all of the like really, really noisy um, uh, textures, is that also coming from the synth or were those some of the, you know, the environmental sounds that you grabbed from the, the dancers videos and kind of stretched and mangled them? I think it depends the dance, but when I presented this piece on, on, on seminar, on the class, that was one of the comments that I, like the patches were so white, noise heavy that you cannot tell when you're coming in and out of the folly. I'm like, I really, I, and I, I didn't think about that way when I was like, I thought of the patches individually, like, yes, I want it noisy. I want it, uh, the 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 pitch to be a little bit on the background like present but not overly present mm -hmm. and and i wanted that the, the, I, I so i thought of the of the of the synth uh of the patches first and then the folly uh but i would go back and forth between the folly and the and the and the synth to see if it is was what i like between so it depends the dance uh the second dance there is a moment that is very uh, more like open and naked and you can really hear the sounds of the city behind the dance yeah. and you can hear the the birds going in and out and in that moment the scene just goes to the background a little bit uh, and allow that moment to be more naked and then we move to the next dance and so yeah, it depends the dance, but yeah. So the the process for this piece is they are, they already had all the dance done and edited and and so you were you were kind of responding to that as you were composing. And I also wanted to ask this uh, earlier: the the uh, choreographers that uh, contacted you. Um, they did did you ever find out like what of yours they had listened to that kind of like hey i want to work with her you know i honestly i, I never asked maybe because i was afraid like <laughs> like okay they want to work uh i'm just got to work and that, that's gonna be it uh, that's fine and um, but I, I i never asked that okay i did never i know yes i think i was I was like, this is work. I, I like why I want this work. So I not going to question it. So the the original, I, um, the piece that, or the dance piece that this is responding to, what, what was that? That was, um, oh. Betty uh, Johnson's. Uh, uh, Betty, Betty DeJong? Uh, Betty DeJong, yes. Uh as you can see, I have a terrible memory. Uh, <laughs> it's an original film by Hilary Harris, and it's nine variations on a dance theme. And uh, you know, I was reading the um, the New York Times article that that you sent me that kind of detailed that and also detailed your piece. Um, and it was interesting that you know that that piece was really can you could almost think about it as a duet in a way, you know, you have the dancer, the subject of the film, but you also have the filmmaker making, you know, like creative choices on how to film and moving around the dancer and everything. I just thought, you know, 
that uh, that creates kind of a you know it, it, its own its own kind of dance. So before you said you know your piece is called Variation Ten, and this is from the piece Nine New Variations. So your it sound it, it almost seems like you know your piece is kind of a personless dance for for sounds in a way like and you said that they they considered like the editing also the editing of the video like that was variation 10 and your piece is variation 10 so it's like this the variation that no one sees but everyone is a part of all the time yeah i mean i you put it very nicely like i, I didn't think of it as like a da uh danceless dance for sounds that what that's kind of, that's super poetic so thank you for that <laughs> uh but but yeah that's that's what it is uh what is dancing there is my fingers on the on the third dance with the fast arpeggiation and in the sixth dance which it has this change this the dancer has this change of locations that's the filter more than anything sustaining mm -hmm. these chords and whoosh, and you can hear it as alongside the the uh, alongside the 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 picture the the film yeah uh the last one that it was one of the most exciting ones, which I thought my idea for that one because it was so the the full the the background was like the the breathing of the dancer. Uh, it was so present. I'm like, I really want the the breath to be like super out Part there and they were like no yeah. we need more music a little bit i'm like okay okay of course of course i want to add more and and i just made this robotic breath that would respond to the synth mm -hmm. and is is the one is the one that has more layers actually um but yes it's always like and that's that was what is nice is me responding to the movement it's me right. responding to the location yeah uh, and what like the first the first the first dance is the only one that hits the floor so it's such a big moment that you have that the boom and then when i start adding those like low beats on the sixth sixth or fifth dance it's you can trace it back and even though it's been already five minutes of the of the there you can see there is a little bridge with between those and yeah and that was one of the bigger biggest challenge that uh how can you make this cohesive without all of these nine dances changing because everyone has such a different technique and every dance each dance was unique in itself not only on the way that it was filmed uh but in the way this the, the dance style like even yeah. though it's modern dance, you can tell like there are so many schools of dance that I'm I don't I'm not even sure, but you can see it on the movement and and also how can you highlight that while keeping a piece that is cohesive and, and puts it together? Yeah, I mean I when I was when I was younger, um I did my masters at the University of Arizona and University of Arizona has just an amazing school of dance. And I was lucky enough that one of my friends there 
uh, who's a percussionist. I'm also a percussionist. Um, uh, he he was leaving his position as a, as a, an accompanist over at the dance school, and I was like, oh my god, like that sounds awesome. I had done it once before. I'd I'd done I had accompanied dance on percussion, like impro- uh, improvising one other time before when I was an undergrad. And uh, he brought me in and we played together and we we played for dance. And that became a huge part of my life for two or three. Uh, and I, I also I kept doing it um, after I left there. And it's so interesting, like being a composer that is also kind of working with dance. And it, it, it really you train yourself to start seeing um you can you can respond musically to dance you know in in a in a really uh in a in a really musical way like you start seeing rhythms in body parts and um it's like okay well if they're going to hit there i'm going to play off of them or i'm going to play right with them you know so i kind of tying this back into the idea of dance on film you know kind of the 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 camera Kind of provide it, it well. It literally provides a frame for what the filmmaker kind of deems important to to them. You know what they're seeing and 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 what they want to capture and how they want to edit it and how that editing also plays into like the rhythm of um, of the dance and everything. I I think that music often interacts with dance the same way. You're like you're providing that frame for for the listener. You know by okay, we're going to hit the floor and you're actually going to hear that in the music or, you know, I'm going to, this this dance seems particularly rhythmic, so I'm going to provide something, but it's not necessarily going to be just right with it. It'll be sometimes with it, sometimes playing off of it. So, so I mean, it, it does provide that kind of like frame that you see, you know, that, that it's your frame on like what you're picking up from the dance. So I just, <clears throat> sorry, I think it's, that's really cool. Um, you started talking about it, um, the you know when you were when you had some of the, like the low beats and everything. I I love that. I love that you're mixing many different sounds together. That, but you're also like, in a way, it's calling to mind um, different like musical styles or musical spaces. Like for instance, you know you you mentioned like the low beats or everything. Um, I mean that in a way that does kind of call to mind like EDM or or something like that. And and I mean, of course, all over you have these kind of acousmatic, uh, like classical electronic acousmatic ideas permeating. So for you, when you're working with all of these, uh, with all of these different sounds, are you thinking about making reference or is this just simply the palette that you that you like to work with? I feel that I, I, it comes naturally on this. Uh, it comes organically, mm-hmm. meaning uh, I I start first limiting myself. What elements do I need, or why? Like, what are the elements that I want? So the first one that I had said, I want the sounds that the camera in the video provide to me because again, that was gonna provide me in the frame, like the depth of the frame. 
the third dance. The third dance is like the one of the hats most special because you, you a truck pass by and you hear the truck, mm-hmm. and you hear also birds and the the, the dancer. Uh, you see it close by, and there is this moment that there is a, a shift within when you pan out and you pan in. Um, so I would the way like again I, everything was informed by the dance. So the first dance has this huge hit. So I knew that I would have to have some type of not beat. Like I didn't think of beat, but just I thought about the sound itself. Like. I need a boom again. Mm-hmm. So I knew that boom was going to come out again. Uh, and and then as soon as I, I started playing with the synth, I, I usually mostly use it as a keyboard, not as a sequencer. Uh, and then I just started doing the sequencer. Uh, and they were like, hey, this is time back to this. So it's all, I, it was a lot of experimenting and improvising. Um with what I had on top. So, like, I usually, my music is more timbre, uh, is development of timbre instead of being beat-oriented. So for me to introduce beat is kind of strange or uh, it's, it's not that it's strange. My music has a beat. It's a very slow beat, 9 uh-huh. out of 10, uh, in this 10th one. Uh, it was an experiment, from that, I, I knew it had to come back. It was just me. Oh, hey, this sounds good. And then, hey, what if I put what I recorded first? Because what I recorded first was all the low, sustained, lush, noisy crackles. Right. And and then I'm like, okay, does this sound good with this? And the folly, the folly was giving this whoosh too, along with the synth. And I'm like. I knew I needed something else to cut through to make it less timbral development and more rhythmic or more more vivid. And also, like, it's about uh, contrast. Yeah, it makes, Uh, it it almost makes it, like, more present in a way, you know? Exactly. And I was going for that. And when, like, there is this moment that is very present uh, that is done sixth, seventh, the eighth kind of goes away. But when we go back to the ninth and tenth, it's a very slow, slow down version of this mm-hmm. uh, beat. So, yeah, 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 definitely. It's, awesome. Well, let's yeah. listen to it now. So uh, this is variation 10.
Well, let's let's talk about your other piece. This is talks to the moon, talks to the beach, has no fortune. Um, and you wrote this for Yarn Wire, uh, which is a uh, percussion and piano uh, group. Yeah. And you said it's for four spatially uh, placed performers and quadraphonic sound. So how did you get connected with Yarn Wire for this piece? Oh, this is like a typical school situation. Got it. Uh, So, I mean, like that, I mean, it's not like it's not special, but because it's it's like, hey, what groups do you want to work? And at the beginning, and that was like at the beginning of the year, and I was assigned another group, and then another composer went to switch, and then we switched. So I'm like, yeah, let's do this. I'm I'm ready. Uh, and it was my first year at Columbia, uh, and it was like one of the best projects that I took on. And I'm I don't do well with changes in general. Like it takes me lots of time for me to settle in a place. Uh, so. And at the time, I was having lessons with Marcus Balter, and he sat me down, like, girl, you need discipline. And I'm like, yes, you are so right. Um, uh, uh, and he was, like, such a good entrance into uh, into the school. It, it was great. And he supported me so much, and we had so many conversations. And... I started thinking not about the sound, but about the space, because I knew I wanted the movement throughout be the the guide. And I just came out with all this clockwise movement, and I thought of time. Uh, and it was a strange to start from there, because, I, again, I, I, I did it as a challenge to myself, so... I was I was talking to the organizers like I can do whatever I want like if I want four things you are you're gonna help me or what do I have to do like and they were like yeah, yeah let, let's try this I'm like okay it's super open so I'm gonna do whatever I want and that was I mean that concert was super challenging to put together because a lot of people do a lot of things that they want to right. <laughs> not just me <laughs> <laughs> and, but it was a fun fun concert and also was with uh it was that double bill like it was Gianna Wire and Brass Ensemble as you have noticed throughout this interview, I'm terrible, terrible with names. Like, <laughs> no memory. Like, I have to really, really memorize people's um, yeah. names. And well, it was really great, great ensemble, and uh, it was such a difficult concert throughout to put together. And but it was so great at the same time. And yeah. I mean, going back to Yana Wire, they are like the easiest person people best people to work with they were so patient uh, because i was having like really bad issues with uh writer's blog and they were like yeah you can turn it in later i'm like thank you (laughs) they're great that's always Uh, nice so but it was first about the space and not the sound which is it it was something peculiar peculiar about it because i have never approached a piece like that and uh then I was struggling to get the sound because I'm like, okay, so I have the sound and I have the timings. Of course, the you know, when you start like mapping a piece and you think this is going to be the times, so I'm going to stick to these times. All of that, I mean, at least for timings and pacing, that went out of the window. Uh, Always and, out the window. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's when I started, when I was able just to start get to get materials, it ended up being just a session of me 
getting a sound recording of me either playing a song that I was obsessed with or going back to the piano and playing Moonlight Sonata, the first movement, because that's the one that I know how to play by memory. Mm-hmm. And it was that. It was just those three, four hours I spent on, on this room recording myself doing silly shit and improvising and, yeah. and connecting because I was, I was having difficulty to go back to my inner self and connect with the sounds that I wanted to recreate. Yeah. And after that, it's just, it was, again, super easy to, not super easy, it's never easy, it's, it's, um, but it was easier to go from that, those three hours of doing all of these things and thinking of the space. So it was just, okay, I have it, I have it, now I can, I can do it. So what was the, what was the inspiration from, for, uh, what was the inspiration for the work and how does that tie into the electronics that we're hearing? Uh... So again, my uh, my trusty mini log, uh, maybe it's a clutch that I had to really think about. Um, uh, I knew I wanted I want the mini log bag because uh, it's part of a connection, and the influence of the song is nine out of ten when I'm working with a specific song is I am extremely extremely homesick. And when I talk about homesickness, is just as an immigrant. As soon as you spend a lot of time out of the country you were born, you understand that the concept of home disappears in your life, mm-hmm. or or the sense of belonging, and and more than homesickness, it was. At the moment, I feel that I didn't belong to any place I was there in that moment. And when I get to the, into these songs, which in this case was uh, Toto la Mompocina, el, Pesca, el Pescador, which is a song that uh, so in my high school back in Colombia. It's an all-girl Catholic school. Uh, every single... From first grade to eighth grade, you have to take a dance class one hour a week. And that's like mandatory. Uh, From sixth to eighth grade, you focus on Colombian dances. And this is a cumbia uh, from the Atlantic coast. I hope I have all my facts right, or at least how I learned them back then. Right. Um, And this song was one of the songs that you have to choreograph. Choreograph. So the way that it would work is like when you have, um, we had either trimesters or bimesters. So the, 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 our teacher, uh, she would teach us the, 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 the movements of this, of this specific uh, type of dance, in this case, cumbia. And then we would have to, I would have like two or three weeks to be in our uh, groups and make our our own, own choreography. So, and so and, and sometimes like you stop listening to this song for a bunch of times and then you come back to it. And I reconnected uh, with a lot of Latin music uh, when I moved to Boston because I used to live in my in Miami mm-hmm. and. 
mostly since I was a teenager, I've been a very like underground uh, music. So I was really into ska and reggae and local reggae, like Nobo Marley. No, I'm into right. uh, Dr. Crapula, which is a local band in Bogota, or Los Elefantes, or uh, Colombian ska. Uh, La Sonora Matacera and all of these people so I was yes I'm underground I'm a hardcore too blah 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 and uh, when I moved to Miami it was just like oh this is way too Latin for me like this is too much Caribbean because also Bogota is in the middle of the mountains and we don't have beaches so um, we have like this intellectual air like pseudo intellectual air because we are from the capital and blah 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 and I'm like wow this is like too too much beach too much Caribbean, people don't wear socks. Why is that like having <laughs> this culture shock? And I'm like, okay. So I steer away and I started like to learn English. Uh, well, first of all, I learned what the Backstreet Boys lyrics said, and that was um, quite disappointing. So I moved to know, okay, what about I go to all this? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that is hilarious. I, I used to sing Backstreet Boys without even knowing the lyrics when I was like 11 or 10. And well, it is what it is when you don't know the language. So when I moved to Miami and started learning English, well, that was a disappointment. In any case, um, I started like with these groups like Muse, the British band Muse, and oh Muse, yeah, uh, yeah, and The Cure to learn English. Yeah, and I always had like this Radiohead situation yeah. because my brother bought the Pablo Honey CD back in 1997, and I was like, oh my god, this is so cool, and. So I've had, I I always was there, and then my best friend was really into this Swedish singer, Licky Lee, and we we're like very indie, very hipster, and for Miami that was weird at the time. Yeah. And when I when I moved to Boston, I'm like, oh, so this is a normal thing here, kinda. And I just wanna listen to Don Omar and reggaeton and Daddy Yankee and Tego and all of these great things. And it was a really funny switch, <clears throat> but again, it's because this shock of feeling that I don't belong. So it's, yeah. it's always like, um, it's that, it's just not, not like that meaning of what is home or what is, what is to belong. It's kind of lost. So when I have this identity crisis, uh, I just have a song and repeat. And in this particular moment, when I was practicing this, it was La Toto Monposina. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that, that idea of loss of home and homesickness and, you know, not, not feeling like you belong. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's a very real thing. Um, I lived, uh, I lived for four years in China and the first year it was that, it was absolutely that. Like, what am I doing here? I don't belong. I mean, I'm this like big six foot four lanky white guy. And, um, you know, it was hard. It was, it, it is hard. It, like anyone who moves out of their home country, it's, it's super hard to, um, to try and find that, to get over the loss of that sense of belong, belonging, that sense of home and try to create it for yourself wherever you are 
and uh for you know some people can just do it and some people you know it really takes uh them a long time i know our first year in china was tough i mean it was you know i'm it was exciting like you know there there are always like exciting parts of it but at the end of the day when it's like you just want to go back into that comfortable place and you don't have it anymore so it's like you're you're constantly feeling like you are on an adventure but you never have that safe spot to go back to like when when you need it you know you you're forced into the adventure no matter what so mm. yeah and i think it's also part of all of this is the hyper self awareness that you have that you're different yeah yeah uh, absolutely so in miami i was too colombian or mm. I was incredibly shy because I did not have the language down. And the thing with Miami is that everyone speaks Spanish. So if you are trying to learn English, because whether you like it or not, if you go to the curriculum in in FIU, which is one of the Florida International University, one of the universities in Miami, uh, or you want to go to University of Miami, or if you want to go to the community college, which was the one that I went, uh, Miami Day College, you need English. And yeah. the fact that, well, also the shock that I had is that in Colombia, we don't have 12th grade. We have 11th grade. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that changed, but when I graduated, I graduated from 11th grade. So my dad thought because I need I needed 12th grade, so I needed to start in high school or at least finish because also in Colombia, you have multiple calendars and my calendar starts at the beginning of the year, so late January to November. And in the U.S., just start, like, mid-year, August and whatnot. And so I moved in December after my senior year of high school and graduating from Columbia, whatever. And I'm ready just to sign up into this high school. I'm like, okay, this is what I have to do, I guess, whatever. And the ladies, the, the, the principal of that school, she's like, she already has a degree. If I let her in, it would be illegal for her to have two high school diplomas. And I'm like, right. oh, shit. So what is next? And the next step, which is like, I'm not ready for college because this whole year I've been preparing mentally myself that I'm going to move out of my country to be in another high school. And I was like, oh, okay. And then it was just starting a community college and it was English. And yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about this story. I forgot. I forgot the thread. But it was that high. Yeah, I remember now. Uh, It's that hyper-awareness that I didn't speak English. Also, when I started in the community college, I I was in in the marching band in Colombia, which is vastly, vastly different from here, which in Colombia I learned it by ear. Uh, We start having more music, not not even theory, but like these are the five lines and Uh this is middle C. But I didn't know that, for example, the trumpet, I know it was in B flat, but I never thought that it was different from the piano. So I didn't, that basic stuff, not even. And when I started in the community college, 
<laughs> uh, I'm like, I wanna, I wanna keep playing trumpet. I'm like, this girl. I like, I didn't know at the time, but now that I look about it, like, wow, this this girl really went for it without reading music, yeah. and just throwing herself to the, uh, the what was that, the wind symphony. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. I can do this. And I even made Dr. Brubeck. Uh, he was my pre pre theory teacher, not even theory one, like pre theory <laughs> teacher. And I made her speak Spanish because, again, I didn't speak English. And he did his best. I'm like, hey, I see you Monday. I'm like, sure, I'll see you. Yeah, whatever. And I came in and it was, I opened the door, which I remember was building aid. And I see, okay, also it was all girls school. Okay. So, and I didn't speak English. And I see all this and I was, I played trumpet. And I open the door and I see all these men playing trumpet. I'm like, I shouldn't have signed up for this. <laughs> I, I just, I'm like, I, I never had a boyfriend before. Like, I, I just came in being like this very naive girl. And I, again, so it was hyper aware in that moment. Like, I was the only trumpet girl that I did not speak English did not read music. It was the first time in my life that I was seeing people reading music. Mm-hmm. So it was like, this, like, I would try my, like, and don't get me wrong, like, the experience was so great because there were a couple of people, Chris, Ila, and Pete, sweet Pete, another sweet Pete. Peters are the best, I think. And they were, they were, they would try to teach me in this part, like, this sounds like this. Listen to me and follow with your eyes kind of situation. Yeah. And the good thing is, like, most of them were Cubans, so they speak Spanish. But I didn't know this. So for me, everyone speaking English. And I was just panicking, panicking, panicking. Like, someone would come up to me. I would just smile but not say anything because yeah. I would be in shock. I would understand some of the things that they were saying, but I would not be able to say anything because I was just in panic the whole time and whatever and again it was just this hyper awareness when I moved in Boston my first thing I mean I come from this super Latin city like this Latinx bubble that it's a whole it's a lot and then I got to Boston and I knew I wasn't in Boston when I tried to one of my really good friends Cliff I tried to say goodbye with a kiss on the cheek Mm-hmm. And he just froze. And I'm like, whew. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm like, I'm not in Miami anymore. And, yeah. and then, yes. And I mean, it has gotten a lot better the older I get. But yeah. Yeah. Sorry so if that, I went into so, the time. So though. that kind of, <laughs> that, uh, that like, that whole experience kind of get got channeled into this, into this piece for you. I think so. I think so. Uh, Yes, because again, when I was writing this, I think I was channeling all of this. I was relieving in a way, even though I wasn't changing a country. I was changing cities. Uh, I think also the cultural shock that I was a barista for three years Mm -hmm. before coming into school. And I I, I felt that I was being the underdog, you know, and... I, I knew there was gonna come back. There was some baggage of coming into an Ivy League was gonna pop up, but it was just that change of, of mentality. Like I'm still struggling with it because I'm like I'm the underdog. I'm the I'm the girl that didn't read music. I'm the, and 
Like, and it's like, I, even though it doesn't matter if you, <clears throat> if the people around you is like, are cool and like, yes, you belong here. Is It is the narrative that you have always been telling yourself and that no. you, you really think that you don't, even though nobody's telling you that, but it's that the story that you, you tell yourself yep. and, and, and. That's that's what it is, and I mean this this song is just look at that. I was fourteen, and I think part of it is fourteen. It was before moving to the U.S., so it's like that specific song. It was when I belong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean the yeah. the what you're talking about with like that kind of imposter syndrome uh, of like you know, feeling like I don't belong here, you know, um, the, the, like the Ivy League thing. Um, I, per, just personally, I, I didn't go to an Ivy League, but I went to a private school in Texas, Rice University, which is very selective and has an amazing music program. And I, you know, I did my doctorate there and I, you know, I got in and, um, uh, there was a point where I was up in the office and, uh, I was, I was like signing out some rooms or something for a rehearsal. And I heard, uh, some administrators in the next room and they were going over all of the, uh, entrance exams for the doctoral students. And I heard my name and like, you can't help but listen and they were basically the comments was, oh, my God, his is so bad. How did he even get in here? Oh, my God. And I have to say, like, you know, that just devastated me, you know, and I carried that around with me for the next, you know, two years or whatever. Um, that was in my first year. That was like that was within the first month of me being there. And it's like, <laughs> I'm already, you know, I, I come, I, I'm coming from a, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, middle-class background where there are no other musicians, like professional musicians or, or even, even amateur musicians in my family. And I decided like, oh, okay, I'm going to make this my life. And then you, you know, you get this far and then all of a sudden, like, you know, you're feeling good and, and then you hear that about yourself and it's like, holy shit, I, what am I doing here? You know, that, that kind of, that kind of thing. But I have to say that that kind of underdog mentality, it's really good for you. Like I, I kind of picked that up after that. It was like, okay, well, I have a choice here. I can either feel like I don't belong and I can just drop out and we'll see what happens or I can prove them wrong, you know? Mm, and that's, absolutely. that's exactly what I did. So I, I really feel like sometimes that, that underdog mentality is a good motivator um, for like being successful. So just, yeah, just keep I, it up. And also you know? like you said yourself, not that you set yourself for lowers, lower uh, stakes, but the meaning of learning is deeper. Yeah. Like, it's not about how far you're going to come after this. It's the fact that you're taking any, every minute in whatever you are, trying to make the best that you can at that moment and getting better and just growing and taking every step to take, every little, 
you got something good, just cherish it. Like, okay, I can celebrate it and then yeah. I can keep going. And it's, yeah, I, I believe the underdog mentality is the best mentality. And, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. wow, that's so brutal. I'm so sorry that you hear that. Well, you know, I <laughs> yeah. It I, I I honestly think me hearing that was probably the best thing that could have happened. You know, because it it yeah, it hurt in the moment and it still stings a little bit when I think about it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you you can focus on it as a negative thing or you can turn it into a positive thing. And I, exactly. I turned it into a positive thing and, um, I'm, I'm way better off for it. So before we listen to this piece, um, talks to the moon, talks to the beach has no fortune. What is it? Where does that title come from? Like, it's what does right that from mean? the lyrics. It's uh, right from the lyrics. Okay. Cool. Right from, yeah, it's just the translation. Uh, All right. and also, uh, one of my biggest, well, She's a really good colleague of mine, and I met her at this festival in Spain. Her name is Tori Chia, and she has the best poetic titles. And uh-huh. I, I was like, yes, my titles could be longer and could be nicer, and it could be mine. And I, I started with my first, first electroacoustic piece uh, that I also use another song. And for me, like that's the thing, I need like... Maybe I'm very like I'm channeling my own Renaissance composer. Like I need I need a Cantus Firmus. Uh-huh. And, and yes, I'm like, why not use the Cantus Firmus lyrics yeah. for my I mean make the translation sure. of the of the Cool. Well, let's listen to it now. So this is Yarn Wire performing Talks to the Moon, Talks to the Beach, Has No Fortune.
All right, we've come to the last question that I always ask all the composers and artists who are on the podcast. Um, how did you find music as the thing you wanted to pursue for your life? I think um, when I'm going to quote someone that when I was in Miami Dade, uh, this woman, Jane Pyle, she was the theory three and four teacher and for some reason my music theory uh, Dr. Greco he wasn't able to attend or just ask her to step in and she stepped in for the opera like the opera you know when you go in music history and you get Baroque this yep. is the opera yep. and she just came into the room and she said you don't choose music music chooses you mm. And I think for me, that's the case. Um, it's been my escape since I'm 12. Like, I would just uh, play. Like, when I got into the march, and, it's, and there are two things about music and my relationship with music is one is what I do, and two is community or making the best community I can around me, even if it is small. Uh, but when I get into the marching band in sixth grade, um, I started playing the cymbals, so it wasn't. No, it, it's not that it wasn't great, but it's not like the cool instrument. You know, the cool instruments the snare. You know, of course. And one of my friends tricked me into getting in, into play. Tricked me. Hey, remember tomorrow there is rehearsal because I was starting to feel not great about being a cymbal player. So she's like, "Come tomorrow," and that day it was just uh, for winds. And at the time, the only winds that they were was like those type of. Uh, we had like pocket trumpets, which uh -huh. was really weird for a marching band. And uh, those, uh, I wouldn't say like a bugle horn, uh, but those horns that don't have valves. Okay. Those, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm blanking the, um, like, cor I mean, in Espanol is corneta, but I, I forgot how you call it in English. I mean, it um, does It does kind of sound like a bugle because a bugle would be like a trumpet that doesn't have any valves. Um, yes, I, I mean, cornetto would be like cornet, but even a cornet does have valves. So, yes, so I think it's bugle. I think it's bugle. I think it's bugle. Yeah. And I just started playing the bugle and I was able to play not only the first, uh, I was played, they were able to play like uh, C, G, and C, which is really hard to do in your first try. I'm like, okay, yeah. this is cool. And then the next six years, and it's just, I was looking up to, Olguita Reyes, uh, which was like the marching band person, and then the the next marching uh, drum um, drum major. She uh -huh. was she wasn't a drum major, but the uh, like she played pocket trumpet, uh -huh. and she so she was like the coolest person, and she would just go to these hardcore ska things. I'm like, oh, I want to be like her, and then Carolina Spiti, oh, again super tied with Olguita, and I was in sixth grade, and these people that was in eighth and seventh and tenth grade, like they look like older and like cooler. I'm like, I want to be like them, and again, I was always like a misfit in this high school. Uh, well, high school for me is sixth grade to eleventh grade, so yeah. uh, I know he's middle school and high uh, high school here. But uh, I was a misfit, and marching band was that moment that I felt that I could be myself and I had my friends, and it was just really cool. And 
again, I mean, I didn't, when I was doing the English thing in Miami Dade, I didn't know if I wanted to do music, but my friend Carolina was like, hey, I mean, why don't you just take music classes and let's go? And it's funny because I ended up doing the whole music thing and she left after a year. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and I, don't, I mean, it happens, not judging at all. Um, yeah. And then I just kept doing things. Uh, the way that I started to writing music, it was my my boyfriend at the time. Oh, so there was the, the Theory 4 composition competition. So everyone that was in Theory 4 would have to write a piece. Yeah. And, uh, and you have to meet your, um, just, that's what you have to do. And then my boyfriend at the time was in Theory 4 and I was in Theory either 1 or 2. Uh, no, Theory 1. I was in Theory 1 and he was in Theory 4. And he would always write very choral back, a back choral style. And by the time he's telling me, it's just I'm running out of chords. And I'm like, what do you even mean? And then I look at his composition and I'm like, why don't you do this? And I wrote a thing for him, like a couple of bars for him. Like, oh, hey, this is cool. And I just started writing music. Yeah. So it's been... I mean, it would be great to say, yes, this came to me for inspiration. No, but just, I just try things and just do it. And the realization of me like, hey, this has been like the best decision I ever made in my life, uh, which doesn't happen often. It was when for the first time I heard the Cleveland Orchestra playing the finale of Firebird. And they have... They, they have I'm not sure. Maybe they still have it, but they had this residency in Miami. This, uh, the Cleveland for me is one of the best, best, best yeah. um, brass sections ever. And uh, just the horn pierced through. You have the tremolo. And my heart was just like, this is it. This is, uh-huh. this is what I meant to be doing uh, for the rest of my life. That's awesome. Well, before we yeah. go, can you tell people uh, where they can find more of your music, like your website or social media or anything like that? Oh, my social media. Um, my social media. I, I'm between changes of handles. Uh, maybe I'm copying Cardi B, but it's I am D. Um, I I am D M downscore R. But I think you can find all my socials in my website, which is dmr.land, L-A-A. L-A-N-D. So. Awesome. Diana, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you for for saying yes and inviting me. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.